Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Well, let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning. If you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. While you're turning there, I invite you to pray with me to our Father together. Our Father, we trust you and we love you. Father, we recognize in the stillness and in the silence you are there. Father, we ask that your name would be honored as holy this morning in our hearts, in our community, and in our world. Father, we ask that your reign, your rule, your kingdom would be present in our minds, in our hearts, in our community, in our churches, and in the world. We ask that you would have your way, your desires would be done, your will would be done in our minds, in our hearts, in our communities, in our churches, and and across the world. Lord, we ask that everything that is done in heaven would be true of us here. Father, we ask that you would clear the dust of our mind's eye so that as the dust settles, we would catch a glimpse of your glory. We pray that today you would provide for us. You know our needs, Father, more than we know our own needs. You know the deepest cries of our hearts. You know the anxieties in our minds. So Lord, provide for us today. We ask that we would be covered with your blood and forgiveness, that you would forgive us of our sins. You would wash us white as snow, and you'd give us the freedom and the power to forgive anybody else who has sinned against us and against you. And Father, we ask that you would deliver us from the evil one. You'd give us an awareness and a discernment to know the lies of the devil and silence them. You wouldn't lead us there. God, but when those thoughts arise, when our eyes wander, when our hearts are not tuned to you, that you would remind us that you have already won the victory. You would tune our hearts to sing your praise. You would unite our hearts to fear your name. You would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Everything else, God, everything else we give to you. We want you, Lord. Make us hunger and thirst for you and satisfy us and fill us with yourself this morning. We pray, we pray, we ask 
we approach the throne of grace boldly and confidently through the one who has gone before, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. And it's in his name that we pray these things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit interceding for us. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I have one goal for all of us this morning. <clears throat> and the goal is to walk away from this sermon wanting to fast in order to strengthen our soul in God. Okay, that's it. Sermon over. Done. You guys can go home. I want the, the goal, our goal for this morning is that we would walk away from the sermon wanting to fast in order to strengthen our soul in God. Do you want to strengthen your soul in God? Do you want to long for God? Do you want to desire the things that God desires? Maybe right now you feel a little stuck in your discipleship to Jesus. Just kind of like you're, you're just making it. Maybe you feel like you're bored a little bit with your faith if you're actually honest with yourself. Maybe you feel like you can't defeat a sin that keeps on lingering, that keeps on rearing its ugly head. Do you feel like you've, or maybe you feel like you've got this whole thing down and you don't need to grow at all. Do you want to long for God? My goal is that we walk away today from here with one way that we can increase our longing for God. Not the way, but one way we can increase our longing for God, that we can strengthen our soul in God, that we can take with us into our following, into our discipleship of Jesus, and follow Jesus through fasting. Now, this is the third week in a row we're in the series on uh, the gospel according to Matthew. This is the third week in a row where Jesus had been talking about specific things we can do, right? It's, 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 um, a lot of times I've heard people say, like, I wish Jesus would just tell me what to do. You know, I wish he would just tell me how to follow him. And it's like, well, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of, it's kind of that. So two weeks ago, Nate Pritchard talked about, hey, giving to the poor. When you practice your righteousness, when you actually do some things, don't do it with the wrong motives, right? A hypocrite is somebody who does the right action but with the wrong motive, right? The hypocrites are the ones who they give to the poor, they pray, and they fast. Good things, right action, but they do it with the wrong heart posture, do it the wrong motive. Jesus is saying, don't throw all those things out. Still give to the poor, still pray, still fast, but rather do it with the right heart, heart posture. Look at uh, chapter six, verse one. This is just by way of summary. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. And then Jesus goes into three examples. This is how you should give to the poor. You should give so freely and so frequently that your left hand literally doesn't know what your right hand is doing. This is how you should pray. Last week we talked about prayer. How do you pray? Get to the secret place. Get to the inner room. Close the door behind you. Get rid of all distractions because your father is in secret and he hears you. What should you pray? The Lord's Prayer. Well, do I pray the Lord's Prayer or do I pray like the Lord's Prayer? Both. You start with the Lord's Prayer and you end with the Lord's Prayer. You make it so enmeshed in your prayer life that it is the start and the end of your prayer life where it just becomes a part of you that you're just praying Jesus' words, Jesus' own prayer to our Father in heaven. And then this week, today, we're going to look at Jesus' last example of practicing righteousness. We have almsgiving or giving to the poor, we have praying, and we have fasting. <laughs> and all God's people said, What's that? <laughs> when was the last time you heard a sermon on fasting, right? When was the last time you, 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 you have fasted? So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm just gonna give you the outline. We're gonna talk about the text. We're gonna look at the text. There's three verses today, really short. Then we're gonna back up and we're gonna look at fasting in the scriptures. What is it? 
and why should we do it? What is it and why should we do it? That's what we're gonna do today. So, first, the text. Look at Matthew chapter six, verses 16. It says this, if you guys decide to fast, sorry, read that wrong. Whenever you fast, not if you fast, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Verse 17, but if you fast, sorry, but when you fast, put, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Apparently, Jesus assumes his disciples are going to fast. He assumes it. He doesn't say if you fast. There's a perfectly good word in the Greek for if, and it's the word if, and Jesus does not use that word here. He uses when you fast, just like he used when you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast. Apparently, Jesus assumes that his disciples are gonna fast. Now, how do the hypocrites fast? They do the right thing, fasting, but they do it with the wrong motive, right? They want other people to be like, oh wow, you must be really holy because you fast. So they like make themselves look disheveled and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry and you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you get a little applause, you get a little pat on the back, that's your reward. That's the same reward that the hypocrites get when they pray these loud, verbose prayers in public in order to be seen by others. It's the same reward that they're gonna get when they give to the poor and they like put all their money in this, this loud trumpet thing and then they're like, look, I'm, I'm holy, I'm giving to the poor. Does Jesus say, okay, if you don't do that at all, don't pray at all, and don't fast at all? No, he says just don't do it with the wrong motive. So when you fast, just, just do it. Just, you know, get ready like you would normally get ready for the day. Don't try to be like, oh, woe is me, I'm fasting. I hope that somebody notices my fasting. I, just like I hope that somebody notices my praying. Just like I hope that somebody notices when I give to the poor or do something selfless. You have your reward. And it's a simple pat on the back or a simple applause that's here for a second and then gone. But how should true disciples of Jesus fast? It's the same way that they should give to the poor. It's the same way that they should pray. Look again at verse 17. When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, verse 18, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others. Who is it obvious to? Your father, where is your father? Who is in secret. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message about the Father being in the secret place, I encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to that. But our Father who is in secret sees what is done. He sees the true intention of your heart. He's the only one who can actually judge, evaluate, and observe your intentions. And he will reward you. He will reward you. It says as much as the end of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted, for your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets before you. Right here, don't do it to be rewarded by people. Do it to be rewarded by God in your giving to the poor and your praying and in your fasting. So that's the text, simple, clear. But I dove right in, and I kind of just assumed we were all on the same page with what is fasting and why is we fasting. So now we're gonna back up, and we're gonna look at these two questions. What is fasting? and why should we fast? What is fasting and why should we fast? Because it's not easily assumed in our culture today as it was in Jesus' day, so we need a lot of work to catch up to what Jesus was saying. So first, what is fasting? Well, let me start by saying what fasting is not. Fasting is not these two things. It's not 
abstinence and it's not a diet, okay? I've heard often people say, I'm fasting from social media or I'm fasting from TV or I'm fasting from um, any other thing that you decide to fast from. And those are good things, right? Um, you fasting from, or like taking a break from these things in order to clear your mind and to clear your soul, that's great. But biblically, that's not fasting, that's called abstinence, okay? It's just abstaining from something. Fasting is also not a diet. There is this, when I was in high school, there was this really popular thing called the Daniel fast. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, where it's like, it's from the book of Daniel, where Daniel doesn't eat certain foods, but he does eat other foods. Technically, the Bible, it never actually calls it a fast. It's more like a diet. So it'd be like the Daniel diet, which I think is way more, you know, catchy than the Daniel fast. Daniel diet, alliteration. No, just me? Okay, great. Fasting is not a diet. It's not just not doing things like abstinence. It's also not eating some foods. So if that's not what fasting is, what is fasting? Fasting is this, according to the Bible, it's choosing not to eat in order to focus on God. Fasting is not eating food in order to focus on God. It's also intentional. Notice how I said choosing not to eat. It's not just like, oh, I forgot to. I had one guy in college, he said, oh, I forgot to eat breakfast and lunch. I guess I fasted today. It's like, well, not, not quite, right? Like it has to be for a purpose. It can't just be not eating. It can't be a diet like intermittent fast. It has to be not choosing not to eat food in order to focus on God. Where do we see fasting in the Bible? Where do we see fasting in the Bible? Well, the first mention of a fast in the Bible is actually Moses. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he fasted, he did not eat food for 40 days and 40 nights. Talk about jumping in the deep end. That's insane. Did not eat food for 40 days and 40 nights. And what happened after that? He was given the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he came down off the mountain and it said that his face and his skin was glowing. Exodus 34. Moses goes up on the mountain, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes back and he has the Ten Commandments that had been given to his people. In Leviticus, a little bit later, God commands a fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement. If you remember, the Day of Atonement was a celebration where Israel was enslaved to Egypt, and the night that, after the ten plagues, the night that they were freed was called the Day of Atonement, and what happened is they would take a sacrificial lamb, they would slaughter it, they would take the blood, they would put it on the doorposts, and the Lord would pass over them. The day of atonement was a day where God himself said, don't eat food for this day. It's a holy day. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, Elijah goes up to a mountain. He fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. He goes to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. He went into a cave and then he experienced the presence and the power of God. I mentioned this last week too. Remember Elijah, he was in the cave and this huge thunderstorm passes by, but it says God was not in that. This like lightning storm and fire passes by and it says God was not in that. And then all of a sudden, there was a cool breeze and Elijah stepped out and the, the voice of the Lord was a still, small whisper. In Esther, Esther chapter four, Esther finds out this news that um, there's a plan to kill all of the Jewish people and she proclaims a three-day fast for herself and for all of the Jewish people and eventually they were spared because of that, fasting and praying. In Ezra, Ezra chapter eight, Ezra proclaimed a fast before they went on their journey, this super, super long journey, that they might humble themselves before God and ask for a safe passage. In Nehemiah chapter nine, they hear the word of the Lord, they are 
cut to the quick, they are convicted, and they decide to fast and worship and confess their sins to the Lord. By the time of Jesus, a couple decades after that, a couple of generations after that, fasting was regular. It was a regular practice where people did it two times a week. In Jewish culture, you did it twice a week. Now, it started at, it was sun up to sundown, so you could eat right before the sun up, and then you just basically skip lunch, and then you eat dinner at sundown. Twice a week, Jewish people fasted. Four times a year, the entire nation fasted. Jesus would have grown up fasting four times a year with all of the other Israelites around him. Four times a year, they fasted as a group. Twice a week, they fasted as individuals on Mondays and Thursdays. Jesus himself fasted. Remember a couple chapters ago in Matthew? Matthew chapter four. Jesus was baptized. He was, came out of the water. What happened? The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Said, uh, a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. And immediately, where did he go? The wilderness. What did he do in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? He fasted. What happened after he fasted? This is really important. What happened after he fasted? The tempter came to him. Was he at his strongest point or his weakest point? We'll get back to that in a second. But Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and definitely would have fasted four, four times a year with the whole uh, nation of Israel. Shortly after the time of Jesus, there's a writing in the first century called the Didache, and it's basically a church manual for like, hey, here's how the church should operate. If you're gonna baptize, some, baptize somebody, here's how you baptize them. If you're gonna um, you know, celebrate communion or the Eucharist, here's how you do that. Here's what we believe, here's what we don't believe. And in that, they say all Christians should fast twice a week, except they switched it from Mondays and Thursdays to Wednesdays and Fridays. And it's basically, hey, don't eat lunch on Wednesdays and don't eat lunch on Fridays. The reason they did that was because on Wednesday, Jesus was betrayed, and on Friday, Jesus was crucified. They wanted to set their weekly rhythms, constantly reminding them of the passion of Jesus Christ. The consistency of fasting twice a week, if not twice a week, once a week, the consistency of fasting twice a week was practiced all through church history until like a few hundred years ago, a couple generations ago. Now there's a big reason for that which we don't have time to get into today, but let me say that again. All through church history, Christians fasted regularly. Regularly, often. If not twice a week, definitely once a week. I mean think about, um, I was actually looking this up and this is crazy, I didn't know this happened, but two or three of our presidents in America called for a nationwide fast. John Adams called for a nationwide fast. Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War called for a nationwide fast a few times. It was a common practice. It was like, oh, we are in a time of crisis or we need to humble ourselves or we need to learn and to hear from God. What am I gonna do? I'm not gonna eat food in order to strengthen my soul in God. The point I'm trying to make is this, that fasting in the Bible and in church history is extremely common, extremely common. There's a quote, a really funny quote by John Wesley. I'm gonna have it on the screen here too in a second. Or right now, actually. I'm gonna have it on the screen right now. Uh, John Wesley says this. He was a... he was a um, pastor, scholar, missionary in the sev- mid-1700s. I fear that there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and in Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they, don't e- they do not even fast twice in the month. John Wesley did not ordain men to go to be a pastor unless they fasted twice a week. Not saying I agree with it, just saying it was common. It was regular. It was a pattern. 
It was a practice. Apparently, John Wesley was so appalled that people don't even fast twice a month, which cut me to, I was, I was like, whoa, okay. That's convicting. Again, not saying, you know, John Wesley was kind of a spitfire. He was just, he was out there. But the point is that it was common, right? The point I'm trying to make is that fasting in the Bible and in church history was extremely common, and it has almost vanished from American Christianity today. Not the world Christianity. You go to other parts of the world, you go to Southeast Asia, you go to Africa, you go to uh, Central Asia, North Asia, they fast regularly, Christians fast regularly. But in America specifically, fasting has all but vanished in our discipleship to Jesus. That's what is fasting. It's choosing not to eat food in order to focus on God. Now, why on earth would I fast? When I first, um, I'm gonna give a little brief story to kind of help us feel more at ease here. When I first heard of fasting or decided to try fasting, practice fasting, I was a sophomore in college, and I was one of the sophomore, like, chaplains. We had chaplains at our school, and there was a senior chaplain, and he called for a campus-wide fast. And so I was like, okay, I kind of have to do this because I'm setting the example, and I should do this. And I had to lead, like, a breakout Bible study prayer thing. And I remember specifically, I was there in that room, and there were maybe 10, 20 people there. And I was fasting that day, and I read this passage Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. But when you fast, do it this way, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And I remember thinking, like verbatim, while I was reading it out loud, because you can do that, you know, you can be talking but thinking something else. I was thinking, why on earth would I be, this is weird. Like this feels like legalistic. This feels like, like am I trying to like manipulate God? This just doesn't feel like it's actually doing anything to my soul. So all that to say is I want to just normalize that experience because Most people today don't fast. So if you've never fasted, hear me, you are not alone. If you've never thought of fasting before, as like a, if you never knew that Jesus expected his disciples to fast, you're not alone. It is, it is just so common. Like it's just, that's the normal way. But yet, throughout all church history and throughout all the scriptures, disciples of Jesus fast. Why? Why do we fast? There's a lot of reasons a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you two of them. The first is to yearn for God. Yearn for God. To long for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When you allow your body to hunger for food, you train your soul to hunger for God. Do you want to yearn for God? Do you want to long for Jesus? Do you want to want the things that he wants? Do you want to want to want the things that he wants? Are you bored with your faith right now? John Tyson says this, very convicting. If you're bored with your faith, then so is God. If you want to long for Jesus, fast. Look at what John Piper says, and this quote will be on the screen. He says this, Fasting reveals the measure of food's mastery over us or television or computers or whatever we submit to again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God. Wow. And, next slide, she remedy, fasting remedies by intensifying the earnestness of our prayers and saying with our whole body what prayer says in the heart, I long to be satisfied in God alone. Do you long to be satisfied in God alone? Do you long for God? If not, 
fast. If you want to fast. What we, uh, when we allow our body to hunger our food, we train our soul to hunger for God. Fasting makes you, it trains you, it allows you to yearn for God. There's a direct correlation with our bodies and our spiritual life and our physical life. So first, why fast? To yearn for God. Second, why fast? Is to grow in holiness to grow in holiness. Do you want to grow in holiness? Do you want to not just manage sin? You want to kill it? We've been talking about sin management, right? D- what, what, what Jesus expects, requires, and provides is a greater righteousness, a surpassing righteousness that goes beyond just mere checking the box, right? We don't want to just check the box. We want a whole heart posture that longs for God. Do you want to grow in holiness and not just, not just manage sin as in like, oh, I sinned again. I guess I should ask for forgiveness. Oh, I sinned again. I guess I should just ask for forgiveness. Do you want to kill sin? Do you want to grow in the, in, in, in the fruit of the Spirit? Think about, again, Jesus in the wilderness, It specifically says after he fasted for 40 days, the tempter came to him. After he fasted for 40 days, the tempter came to him. It says he was hungry. Now, the tempter made a mistake. He thought that after Jesus fasted for 40 days, Jesus would be at his weakest. That's what I think. You and I have been taught that. Jesus was at his weakest point. Physically, that's true. But where was Jesus at spiritually? In the spirit, he was at his strongest point. After 40 days of fasting, of praying, of hungering for God, he was able to look the tempter in the face and say, get behind me. You shall not test the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord and serve him only. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every mouth, or every word that comes from the mouth of God. You and I think that fasting weakens us. That's a lie. Fasting strengthens us. You want the fruit of the Spirit to be true of you? Do you want to be able to look the, the enemy in that lie and say, I'm done with you? Apparently, fasting is one way that we can do this. I've got a bunch of quotes that I'm going to have on the screen, so if you want a list of them, I can give them to you after. But look at this. Thomas Kempis says this, Refrain from gluttony, and thou shalt all the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. Something happens when you fast. I'm talking from personal experience. I'm talking from the experience of church history, from the experience of people in the Bible. When you fast, you have more strength to push away sin. Don't know how? That just, it happens. That's what Thomas Kempis says. Next slide. Dallas Willard says this. Persons well used to fasting as a systematic practice will have a clear and constant sense of their resources in God. And that will help them endure deprivations and temptations of all kinds. Donald Whitney says this. No Christian should ignore fasting's benefits in the disciplined pursuit of a Christ-like life. Do you want to look more like Christ? St. Leo the Great says this, fasting, this is my favorite one, fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will even unto the practice of every virtue. You want that? I want that. Fasting does many things to your soul. 
does so many things to your soul. It teaches you, it purifies you, it guides you, it allows you to grow in holiness and long for God. Now, let me be very clear. Not eating food doesn't do that, right? But biblical fasting partnered with prayer, partnered with an intentionality to offer ourselves to God, to grow in holiness, to, to strengthen our soul in God, that's this kind of fasting that we're talking about. You can eat food, or I'm sorry, you cannot eat food, you can skip lunch, but anybody can do that. There's a difference between fasting and not eating food. Fasting is always partnered with prayer. Think of what Jesus says. He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, right, with his three disciples, and there's this scene, this scuffle. All these disciples, there's this demon-possessed man. All these disciples are like, Jesus, earlier we could cast out demons. We can't cast this demon out. What's going on? And he looked at them and he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. He didn't say this kind can only come out by not eating food. No. He said this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Do you want to long for God? Do you want to grow in holiness? Do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Wayne Grudem says that when you fast, it reminds you how weak you are in order to be filled with the strength of God. When I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of information, that's a lot of content that probably feels like we just jumped right in the deep end when maybe you've never even thought of fasting before. So there are probably a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts right now that you guys are experiencing. And so I want to just, again, normalize the situation. If you've never thought of fasting, you're not alone. If you've never fasted before, you're not alone. Also, Notice that Jesus assumes his disciples fast, but what he doesn't say is that I will love you more if you fast. So I want, you, I want to be very, very clear. Fasting does not earn favor with God. Period. God does not love you more if you fast. God does not love you less if you don't fast. There is a difference from working from the cross and from grace and from our identity. Think about Jesus' pattern as well. He was given his, his identity and then he fasted. We are given our identity in Christ, a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, clothed in Christ's righteousness. We cannot earn that by fasting. And yet, at the same time, we, we give ourselves to the Lord in fasting because I want to yearn for God, because I want to grow in holiness. So there is no shame in this message. Maybe you're feeling embarrassed right now, like, oh my gosh, I've been walking with the Lord for like a while, and I've just never thought of this. I've never done this. You're not alone. Don't be embarrassed. There's no shame. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed, right? Like, oh my goodness, one more thing I have to do? Like, I can't keep up. Let me remind you, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is a freedom that comes in fasting, not a burden. There is a freedom that comes in prayer, not a burden. There is a freedom that comes in giving to the poor, not a burden. There is a freedom that comes from living the Beatitudes, of seeing the Sermon on the Mount as your life, as one who lives in the kingdom of heaven right now. Maybe you're feeling shame. I know this is my experience. I felt like I was a bad Christian because I didn't fast. That is a lie. There's a difference between shame and guilt, right? Guilt is do, shame is who. Guilt is I have done this thing, 
I, I am, I'm feeling guilt and conviction for that. Shame is I am this person. Guilt is due, shame is who. If you're feeling guilt right now, or if you're feeling conviction, and it's of the Lord, that can be a good, it's a hard thing, but that can be a good thing. It can allow us to repent, to say, okay, Lord, I, I've never thought about this before. Honestly, my prayer life isn't that great. My fasting life is non-existent. I don't know if I give to the poor. What, like what? Guilt from the Holy Spirit to prod us, to invite us into life and life abundant. That's a good thing. Shame is from the enemy. Shame is saying God loves me less because I don't fill in the blank. And shame is easy to believe because the voice is louder in your ears. I'm a bad person because, I'm a bad Christian because God doesn't love me because. That is a lie. That is not the God who created you. So when it comes to this passage and this practice of fasting, if you feel guilt from the Holy Spirit, godly guilt, that's a good thing. Press into that. If you feel shame, that is from the enemy and silence it. Whatever your experience of fasting is, God is not more or less pleased with you than he is right now. Tim Keller, who recently just passed away, says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Guys, listen. Fasting is hard. It's hard because it goes against every inclination and desires of our hearts, of our minds, and of our bodies. Fasting goes against the culture of instant gratification and self-indulgence. Fasting goes against the lie that true freedom is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and however you want. And so because it goes against all those things, you know whose voice is gonna be right in your ear? The enemy's, and he's gonna be saying, he does not want us to control our appetites. He does not want us to control our desires with the power of the Holy Spirit. He does not want us to learn how to hunger and thirst for God when we hunger and thirst for food. And so because of that, you're gonna hear his voice saying, because you don't fast, God loves you less. And let me just remind you, you are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you ever dare believe or imagine or hope. So along with that voice, you're gonna hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting you an invitation to experience God, to grow in your walk with Jesus, to yearn for God, encouraging you, reminding you that you practice from the cross, not for the cross, inviting you to experience the power and the presence of God who is where again? He's in the secret place. When you silence the voices, when you close the door behind you, when you fast in secret, when you give yourselves to God, God is inviting you, the Holy Spirit is inviting you right now to, to, to store up your treasures on heaven, not on earth. Because our reward, guys, at the end of the day, our reward is not here. Our reward is not here. Our reward is with the Father in heaven. So the invitation is here, to practice your righteousness, not with the right action or wrong motive, but to give to the poor, to pray, to fast. I think if I had to sum up the Sermon on the Mount, it would be this, take Jesus seriously. Take Jesus seriously, because he says some really intense stuff, and if we just took him seriously, okay, I'm gonna start giving to the poor. He says poor, not church, by the way. Just leave that there. Give to the poor. Okay, I'm gonna pray in the secret place. I'm gonna actually close the door behind me. I'm gonna pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm gonna actually fast. 
If we take Jesus seriously, he is inviting us to experience his presence. God wants to be with you. Not just up here, guys, not just in our brains. That's the temptation of our church and of the church in America is that the more I know about God, the more I'll grow in holiness. That's a lie. You know the smartest people who know most about the Bible and they look nothing like Jesus. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be the church. I want us to actually do what Jesus says to do. I want to grow in righteousness. I want us to be a people who love one another selflessly, who don't hold grudges against another people that we disagree with, who selflessly love and forgive and give to the poor and love each other. I want us to be a people who when when we talk to each other, words of love and encouragement come out, not words of passive aggressive comments or despair or anxiety. I want us to be a people who are not anxious about anything. Can you, can you imagine that? If, if Leonard Ravenhill says this, if the, Christ, if the American church lived the Sermon on the Mount for 24 hours, the entire world would change. Imagine if we lived the Sermon on the Mount. We did these things. We took Jesus seriously. We didn't just talk about it. We didn't just think about it. We didn't just read about it. We did it. That's the invitation, and it's a glorious one. When we submit to the easy yoke and light burden of Jesus, he gives us freedom and joy and love unimaginable. So the question is for you, will, you, will we do this together? And if you're thinking, well, how do I fast? Like, what do I, what do, I do? That's a great question. I'm out of time, so I can't talk about that. But that's what our small groups here at AGC are designed for. Seriously, that's what our small groups are designed for. If you're like, how do I do this? What do I do? I wanna do this in community. I wanna practice these things together. That's exactly what our small groups are for. So let me just end with this. If you want to strengthen your soul in God, to yearn for God, to become a child of Christ, sorry, to yearn for God, you are already a child of Christ, to yearn for God and to grow in holiness fast. And let me say this too. If you fast one time, it's beneficial. If you, pa- if you fast repeatedly, over the course of a lifetime, it's transformational. It's just like reading the scriptures, just like praying. You do it once, that's good. It's a good thing. But you seep yourself in the scriptures for years. You walk with the Lord in prayer for years. You regularly fast and train your body to long for the things of God for years. It will be transformational. So there it is, the end. Uh, I wanna pray and, and we're gonna enter into a time of communion because communion is just another practice that we do weekly to transform us over and over again into the image of Christ. As we take the bread and as we take the cup, we regularly and routinely remind ourselves what he has given to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. We're grateful that you've given us yourself. We're grateful that you've given us a a way, not the only way, a way to grow in holiness, to long for you. And so, Father, I pray that you, you just give us grace. I pray that you would silence the lies of the enemy right now that are probably saying lies to us and, and, and shaming us and telling us that we're not good enough or, or that we have to do something in order to get something. God, I pray that you would just remind us our identity. That when we 
have repented, when we have believed, when we have confessed with our mouth that you are Lord, God, you have clothed us with righteousness. Let us never forget that and let us never stay there. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged, we would be empowered to take you seriously, to fast, to pray, to give, to love selflessly. Because God, at the end of the day, we wanna yearn for you and we wanna grow in holiness. We want to look more like you. And if we don't, Lord, I pray that you would increase our desire for that, that we would want to want to know you. God, we give this time to you, we give this celebration of communion to you. And I ask that we would take this posture into the next hour, into the next day, into the next week, and into our lives. A posture of, of love, a posture of your spirit. As you, this day, Lord, remembers you pouring out your spirit over 2,000 years ago in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. So God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on us. Give us a fresh wind. Give us a fresh power to hear your words and to do them. We pray all this in your son's name by the power of the spirit, amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.